Amen. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Ah, that's weak. How are we doing today? Come on, this is the day the Lord has made. What are we going to do? And we're going to be what? Glad in it. It's so good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Thankful for you. Thankful for what God has given you and how you pour that out each and every week. And um, I just believe that God has some great things in store for this year. How many want to receive whatever God has for you this year? Do you, you want that? Amen. Look at your neighbor and tell him you've never looked better. Now turn to the person you ignored and tell them, so do you. Amen. Amen. How many of you were, um, how many were you at, how many of you were at the prayer service Wednesday night? Let me see your hands. Wow. Wow. You didn't tell anybody anything, did you? last things I told you when you left was don't say anything. Some of you, I'm telling you. Um, I just want to say how, how blessed um, I felt when I left here Wednesday night. Several reasons, but obviously God showed up and God ministered. Touched a lot of hearts. And, um, but just your um, showing up. I think there was over 130, 100 and somewhere here to pray. Come on, church, to pray. So just thank you um, for showing up and for having a heart and a passion to pray. Amen. Um, Speaking of prayer, we're in a series on entitled The Pathway to Prayer. Um, it's just something the Lord deposited into my spirit, and I want to share it with you. And it's really designed around the tabernacle of Moses. And so if you really want to do an extensive study on the tabernacle of Moses, I would encourage you to do so. But I'm just going to use the tabernacle of Moses as a pattern for prayer. You know, the Bible's filled with patterns of prayer. There's the book of Ephesians. You can pray those prayers in that book. Um, of course, there's the Lord's Prayer. And uh, you can break that down. As a matter of fact, we're going to be having a class on the Lord's Prayer coming up. It's one of our foundation classes. And really how you can take the Lord's Prayer and turn that into really about an hour's worth of prayer. And uh, I know a lot of times we rush through that prayer, but there's so many nuggets within that prayer. So we'll be revealing some more about that in the weeks to come. But Exodus 25 and 8 and verse 9 says this, have the people, notice it's corporate, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary. Why? So that I can live among them. Now you and I both know that we are that tabernacle or that sanctuary today. God dwells within us. He said, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings 
exactly according to the pattern I will show you. And then you go through Exodus 25. God reveals in detail how this tabernacle was to be built. So let's pray and let's get into this and see what the Lord would have to say to us today. Father, I thank you and I praise you for this opportunity to be here again today. Lord, um, once again, I'm overwhelmed by your presence and your spirit. For you're here, Lord, and we sense your presence today. We ask that you speak to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. And everyone said, Amen. Last week I talked about the gate and how that that gate speaks of Jesus. He is the gate. He is the way to the Father. And um, when I pray to God, I come to him in the name of Jesus. That's our entry point. That's our access. Let me see if this is behind us. Could you put the tabernacle up, please? Just put, yeah. So we come through this gate. I talked about what the gate represents, everything that's affiliated with that gate. But once you come through the gate of this tabernacle, you'll see the fire coming off of what is called the brazen altar. And you just leave that picture there, if you would, please. The brazen altar. And um, I'm confronted with this massive piece of furniture. It's called the brazen altar. It was made of wood and it was overlaid with brass. It's the largest of all the pieces of furniture within the tabernacle of Moses. As a matter of fact, the other six pieces of furniture could fit within the brazen altar. It dominated the eastern courtyard of the tabernacle. And um, it symbolizes the cross. It is a picture of Calvary, which tells us this, that there is no other way into the presence of God but by and through the cross. You cannot get to God without going through the cross first. Amen? That's part of the journey on getting into the presence of God. Now, thanksgiving and praise is what gets you in the court. And anyone can come into the courtyard. Anyone. The Bible plainly tells us anyone who's breathing can enter into the courtyard. Why? Because the Bible says, let everything that have breath praise the Lord. So you don't, have to be pra- you don't have to be saved to praise God. We see that all the time. And so anyone can come through the gate. Anyone can come through that. You come through with praise and thanksgiving. But you won't get closer to God without coming to the brazen altar. You will not get closer to God without confronting the cross of Calvary. It's too big to go around, and you cannot ignore it. And one of the problems with the church today is we want big arcs and little altars. I'll get to this, but the ark 
was at the back part of the tabernacle, beyond the curtain, beyond the veil. The ark represented, and we'll get to this, not today, by the way, but we'll get to this. The ark represented the glory of God, the power of God, the presence of God. Uh, it was located in the most holy place. That is our destination for prayer, to get to that place. We want to end up there. We want to end up in the glory of God because that's where miracles happen. That's where power begins to manifest. That's where signs and wonders begin to take place. But your ark cannot be bigger than your altar. And for too long, the church has focused on the ark with are focused on the ark, but we have ignored the altar. And God is bringing us back out and letting us know that you cannot get close to me without first connecting to the cross. Amen. So the bigger the altar, the bigger the ark. You want more of God's glory. You want more of God's presence. You want more of God's power. You want more of the anointing of God in your life. You want to be able to be uh, in a realm of, of the miraculous. You want to be able to be in a realm of the supernatural. Get to the cross. Get to the, as this picture, the brazen altar. It's where the power of God manifests. So in my prayer time, what I do is simply this. Once I come through with thanksgiving and praise, I come to the cross. And I come to the cross by humbling myself under God's mighty hand. I bow down before him. doesn't necessarily mean physically, but I bow my heart before him. And I begin to reflect upon the price that he paid on the cross. Amen. That God sacrificed his spotless lamb for all of us. It was here that the priest would take an innocent lamb. And he would take a spotless lamb. And he would bind that lamb to the four horns that were located on this brazen altar. He would then shed the blood of an innocent lamb as an offering to God for the forgiveness of sins. It seems cruel, doesn't it? It seems inhumane. And it really is to kill and to sacrifice an innocent lamb. But God wants us to know that sin has a consequence. So God instituted this horrible reality to remind us that sin destroys our life, that sin destroys families, that sin destroys marriages and, and relationships and careers. As a matter of fact, anything that sin touches, it destroys. God wanted us to see this, and God wanted us to be reminded of this. He wanted us to see, he wanted the offender to see the cost of sin. Every time an individual sinned, or what they would have to do, I should say, on the Day of Atonement, once a year they would bring an innocent spotless lamb, and they would offer that innocent spotless lamb as in place of themselves for their sins. The lamb took the offender's place. Sin does cost, and it cost God his only begotten son. 
Now, we don't hear too much about this anymore. We don't hear too much teaching and preaching on the cross anymore. We don't hear too much teaching and preaching on the blood anymore. But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Amen? That's a good place to give God praise. So it is here in my prayer time that I recognize and I realize that I see my sin took his life. He laid down his life for my life. And the reason that God required this type of sacrifice is he wanted something to happen in the heart of every offender, in the heart of every person. At the altar, I see the ugliness of sin. God wanted a heart change at this altar. God wanted the one who was offering up this innocent lamb. He wanted that person to leave that experience with a heart change. He wanted that person to leave saying, I never want to do this again. I never want to have to look into the eyes of this innocent lamb because they were part of the sacrifice. I never want to look in the eyes of this innocent lamb and slay this lamb for my sin. God wanted the worshiper to understand the impact that sin has on us. And he wanted that worshiper to leave, never wanting to come back to that place again. In other words, he wanted the worshiper to come out from that place with a repented heart, with a changed heart, with a transformed life. And so it is here that I bow and I begin to thank God for the lamb. I begin to thank God for the sacrifice of the lamb. Everything at this moment in my prayer time is focused on the lamb of God. Everything at this moment in my prayer time is acknowledging the lamb of God. It is acknowledging what, he's, what he did for me. It's acknowledging that he laid down his life for me. It's acknowledging him that he gave his life so that I could live. It's acknowledging him that he shed his blood so that my sins could be forgiving. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. Of Jesus. And so David gets to this place and David says a prayer like this Search me, O God. Examine my heart, O God, and see if there be any wicked thing in my heart. Now we all know, we all know those obvious sins. We know it. Nobody has to tell us. The conviction of the Holy Spirit reveals that to us. But there is a deeper level, things that might be displeasing to God. And when you get to this place in your prayer time and you begin to call out to God, God can reveal some things that, 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 that maybe for someone else it isn't sin, but maybe God is requiring something more of you. And God is saying, I want you to lay this down. And so you get to this place and you ask the Lord to search your heart. Examine my ways, Lord. If there's anything, God, that's hindering my relationship with you, reveal it to me now, Lord, and wash me in your blood. If you'll put the picture just of the altar up for me, please. Let me just talk about a few things here. This is the brazen altar. If you'll notice, there are four horns on this altar. 
four horns. Each of the horn is pointing outward. This is where they would bind the sacrifice. They would take the sacrifice. They would tie the sacrifice to these four horns. They would bind the sacrifice. How many of you know they took Jesus and they spread him wide? And they nailed his hands into that cruel, rugged cross. And they bound his feet to that cruel, rugged cross. But how many of you know that it was his cords of love that kept him there? His love for us that kept him bound on that cross. They would take the blood, and I know, I know some of you are uncomfortable with this, but I want you to see the reality of the cross today. And they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it on the four corners or the four pieces of the horns of that altar. And now we see the stain of the, of the cross, the blood-stained cross that Jesus shed his blood for. Those four horns pointed outward. They pointed to the four corners of the earth. What was God saying? What was God revealing to us right there? God was saying, my salvation is extended to everyone. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isaiah 45 and verse 22 says this. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God and there is no other. I'm sorry to tell Oprah and whoever else wants to say there is another way. I'm telling you, there is no other way. If you're going to be saved and make it to heaven, the only way you're going to make it to heaven is looking unto him. Amen. Come on, church. Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our Faith. There is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. As a matter of fact, just shout that name out right here. Jesus, come on and give him praise one more time. Number two, it was a place of refuge. It was a place of refuge. Later on, you'll read about this. You can, you can write this down. We don't have time to go to it today. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 50 through 53. Solomon, King Solomon, I'll put it this way, puts a hit on Adoniah. Said, I want him dead because of his rebellion. Adoniah gets word that Solomon is seeking his life. And what Adoniah does is he runs to the altar and he grabs hold of the horns of the altar. And when he grabbed hold of the horns of the altar, he found refuge. And Solomon said, if he changes his ways, we'll watch and see. But if he changes his way, he'll live. It is here at the altar, church, that we run and find refuge in Jesus. We escape judgment that is to come. The Bible said in Exodus chapter 29 and verse 37, whoever or whatever touches the altar becomes holy. How many of you know if you'll just get a hold of Jesus, it has nothing to do with your righteousness, it has nothing to do with your deeds, it has nothing to do with your works, but it has everything to do with his blood. And if you'll just grab a hold of his precious blood and apply it to your life, you can, you can escape judgment, you can find mercy, and you can find grace, you can find help, you can find forgiveness, you can find mercy. Come on, church. You can find it all. Amen right here at the cross. 
and we get to this place, we repent, and it redirects our life, and our life becomes transformed by the cross. We deserve judgment. We deserve death. But because Jesus extended his mercy, God gave us a new lease on life. 1 John 2 and 1 says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, he is righteous, he is just, and he is faithful to forgive us. Number three, at the cross we find that we become a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This deals with your self-image. And I'm still praying. Deals with our self-image. And what I, when I get to this place in my prayer, I say I no longer receive the lies of the devil. I no longer believe his report. I am not a victim. I am a victor. I'm no longer separated from God, but I am sanctified, set apart for his, for his holy use and for his glory. I'm no longer cursed, but I am blessed. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I am a son of the Most High God. When I come to the cross, I affirm and I confirm my new identity in Christ. When they plucked his beard out and he shed his blood, it was for the healing of of our image. And at the cross, we understand that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image and his likeness. And I no longer buy into the lie of the enemy that I'm worthless, that I'm useless. No, I accept that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. And it doesn't matter what anybody said or anyone tried to put on me back then. When I come to the cross, he takes it all away and I become new in his likeness, new in his image. Old things have passed away. Everything in my life becomes new and I no longer buy into the lie of the enemy. I see myself through the lens of the cross. And what I'm doing is I'm building myself up in my most holy faith. Faith. Because of the cross. What I'm trying to get us to see here is, and I said it last week, you can rush through this prayer in 10 minutes or you can spend 10 hours in this prayer. And as we go through this, and the Lord is going to have to help me, up, help me to pick up the pace because I only have a few more weeks to get through it all. As we go through this, there will be times in your prayer if you follow this pattern. The goal is not necessarily to get through every station of the prayer. The goal is to be obedient in the prayer. And wherever God wants you to camp out in that prayer, camp out in it. If God wants you to camp out at the brazen altar, camp out. And let him do what only he can do and work his glorious wonders within your heart. Number four at the cross is the great exchange. It's the great exchange. Four horns upon the altar. Anytime the Bible talks about horns, it talks about power. It speaks of power. Watch this, Isaiah 50, 53 and 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. 
Notice four things happen here. Wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. It's the four horns on the brazen altar. This is known as the great exchange. God took our sins and placed his righteousness upon us. God took our sickness and placed his healing upon us. Amen. The Bible speaks of, and I'm almost done, believe it or not, I really am. The Bible speaks of sin, transgression, and iniquity. Everyone say three. Sin, transgression, and iniquities. Sin simply means this, I missed the mark. As an archer, there's a target. You know the target. To sin means to miss the mark. I can miss it, and accidentally I can miss it. In other words, I just blew it. Um, I shouldn't have said what I said. And the minute I said it, I knew I blew it. I shouldn't have acted the way that I acted but I just did. I blew it. It wasn't planned. It just happened, right? Sin. I missed the mark. At the altar, at the cross, I have forgiveness from that. Now, transgressions is a little bit deeper. He was wounded for our transgressions. Transgressions are willful acts of rebellion. Transgression is a willful act of rebellion. In other words, I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyway. Transgressions is when you plan to sin. You know it's sin, but you still plan on doing it. You know it's wrong, and you still go ahead and do it. That's a transgression, and that is linked to your will. But at Calvary, he removes your transgressions. He replaces your will with his will. Not my will, but your will be done. That happens at Calvary. Iniquity is tied to your spirit. Now watch how this works. When Eve foretook of the forbidden fruit, she sinned. She missed the mark. The Bible says that Eve was deceived. When Adam partook of the fruit, he transgressed against God. Why? Because Adam knew better. Adam knew better. Adam rebelled against God. When Adam rebelled against God, iniquity entered Adam's heart or entered his spirit. Iniquity is the twisting and perverting of truth. The twisting and the perverting of truth. So now we have entire denominations that are committing iniquities. They are taking truth and they are twisting it and perverting it. And this is what happens to believers. They take a truth and they twist it and they pervert it so that they can continue to willfully sin against God and try to make their conscience feel good about it. Well, did God really say, did he really mean that? Yeah, he did. 
He really meant it. But that iniquity causes you to begin to twist and pervert truth. And here's what will happen. You will believe a lie, and the Bible says, be damned. Man, I didn't know it was going to be this quiet today. Here's another thing about iniquity. It can be transferred to three and four generations. The Bible says the iniquity of the fathers visiting the third and the fourth generations. What does that mean? It simply means this. Grandfather struggled with this. Father struggled with this. Now I'm struggling with it. Why? Because it is an iniquity. The twisting and perverting of truth that's being handed down from one generation to the next. But here's the good gospel news. At the cross, because of the blood, you can sever the connection of a generational curse that's been handed down from one generation to the next, and you don't have to commit the iniquities of your grandfather or whoever started this mess. Amen? Oh, I feel him right here. You can nullify and cancel and sever with the blood where it stops with you and will not be handed down to your children because of the blood. Amen? So when I get to this place in prayer, I sever that iniquity. And I plead the blood over my children. And I decree and declare that it will not visit my children. It will have no place in my children. And the blood of Jesus takes care of that. Can I have five more minutes? I know I already closed, but can I have five more minutes? Watch this. Psalm 32 and 5. David understands the tabernacle of Moses. He would later build his own tabernacle. But David understands the cross. He's got a picture of it. He understands the brazen altar. Now listen to what David says. He said, then I acknowledge my sin. Let me just interject some things here. David said, I acknowledge I missed the mark. Remember the definitions. I acknowledge I missed the mark and did not cover up my iniquity, the perverting and twisting of truth. I said, I will confess my transgression, my willful act of disobedience to the Lord. And what did he do? And you forgave the guilt of my sin. This happens at the cross. This happens at the brazen altar. When I come to the Lord and I acknowledge my sin, he will forgive me. Interesting, the word forgave here in the Hebrew means to be lifted up and carried away. What did Jesus say? If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. He was talking about the cross. And when they lifted him up on that cross, what happened? He carried away our sin. What I'm trying to get you to see is this. There is now no more condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. No more shame, no more guilt, no more remorse because of what Jesus done for us on the brazen altar on the cross. So as I move forward in my prayer, I don't carry guilt. I don't carry shame. I don't carry condemnation. It's all been taken care of at the cross. Amen? 
How many are thankful for the blood and the cross today? Come on and give him praise. Four horns, he saved anyone who will come. It's a place of refuge when you come to him. You become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And there's a great exchange that happens when you come to the cross. Aren't you thankful for that today? Amen. I'm going to close with this. And it's going to feel like I'm making a hard right, but I want you to stay with me. How many are familiar with DeMar Hamlin, the football player? Guys familiar with what happened to him? I think everybody is. I want to show you, if you'll put the image of the players praying, that's DeMar Hamlin there. Just want you to see something for a minute. I'm not sure, what, is there another image? Go ahead and just, of them praying. This is another game. I want you to know, I want to say this. The NFL fined Tim Tebow for kneeling and praying. Right? Players, after that incident, just started kneeling and praying together. Okay, I want you to show the video if you would, please, real quick. Um, you know, like, this is a little bit different. I heard, I've heard it all day, like, thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him. And I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say, like, we believe in prayer. And maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want to, it's just on my heart that I want to pray for It him. is. Damar Hamlin, right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head. National and TV. Pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that you're God and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad, we're angry, um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask uh -huh. this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up DeMar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 Beautiful. Respectfully. Live. Stand with me, national TV. You know what they said? We don't care anymore. We don't care anymore. We're going to pray. Here's what I believe. Can I just share with you what I believe? I'm going to anyway, so say go ahead. I believe God showed up and said, I interrupt all your activities to make an announcement and he did on Monday night he said if I can't get my church to pray which is supposed to be a house of prayer I'll have prayer meetings break out in stadiums
And if I can't get my preachers to pray, oh, Lord, help us. Then I'll have newscasters start praying for them. And now all of a sudden people are praying. And it's okay. It's okay. You see, because when you get desperate enough, for nine minutes, Damar was on the ground. Nine minutes. Resuscitating him, trying to bring him back to life. He died. I just heard yesterday that he was at the practice facility in Buffalo. Amen. Why? Why? Because prayer works. It works. It works. And God is saying, I feel this in my spirit. God is saying that prayer is about to break out in places you never would have thought was possible. Well, I feel the Holy Ghost now. Here's boldness on me here. I feel like there are, there are children, students in our school that said, we don't care what you say. We're going to start praying. And they're going to start gathering in classrooms. And they're going to start praying. And they're going to start kneeling before the Lord. And they're going to start lifting up the name of Jesus. Amen. Our children, God is going to use them. You're going to be at work and people are going to say, stop, we're going to pray. You'll be in the grocery store and someone's going to say, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. I believe it was a prophetic sign. I really do. I believe God was saying to us, I'm going to raise your sons and daughters up in the last days. This young man was 24 years old. And God is saying, if you'll pray, I'll raise them up. And I'll bring them back to life. Amen. Spiritually, I'll bring them back to life.